Well, what's up, my Arctic friends? Uh, I'm so glad you guys braved the weather and got out this morning, and uh, just happy to see you guys. I know we're missing several. I heard from some people this morning who are stuck on hillsides and creek sides and all sorts of things, but uh, we're glad you guys are here. Um, we are in the middle of a series called uh, Ephesians, which is a real creative title because we're working through Ephesians. And so uh, this morning, though, I'm going to kind of just put a disclaimer out there, okay? I'm going to just kind of put it out there. Uh, we're just going to get a little weird this morning, so just kind of bear with me. You'll see where I'm going. For some of you, like, yes, here we go. Um, and here's why. The first couple of years that I was in ministry, I was in West Virginia, which you've heard me talk about from time to time. And so Lori and I were there about three years. And uh, one of the funeral home directors of the main longstanding funeral home was a, a, a member or partner at our church. And so as a result of that, I spent a lot of time, way more than normal, uh, in funeral homes. I told you it was going to get weird, okay? So like here I am at 22, 23 years old, and I'm spending all kinds of time uh, at a funeral home. And that's not the weirdest part of it. The weirdest part of it is some things that I saw. And so what would happen is Sean, the main director, he would uh, at times have a family that would come through that didn't have anyone that could officiate. He didn't have anyone that had any sort of, of minister or pastor uh, you know, in their, their circle, and so he would call us and say, hey, would you be able to officiate or help this family out? And uh, at first, I was kind of like, uh, mm, uh. and see, and it always fell to me because I was the youngest guy on staff, and so you know, the other guys were always busy or doing something else, and, and, it would all, and so he came up and he said, Jason, man, I've got a family that really needs, and I was like, uh, he goes, what well, pays 100 bucks? And I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. Uh, I mean, I'm newlywed. Like, we are, you know, eating out of canned food. I mean, it was like this, like, hey, 100 bucks is 100 bucks. And so I remember calling my dad and saying, okay, dad, you know, you've kind of done several of these. And so how do I officiate uh, funerals for people that I don't know? And so he kind of walked me through. He said, you know, Jason, people just want you to listen and love and, and say something encouraging and that sort of thing. And so uh, I remember going into my first one, and I was a little bit hesitant still, even after talking to my dad. I mean, I didn't know these people. And this is one of those significant moments in life that, that matters. And I remember introducing myself and thinking, you know, I've got about 24 hours to formulate something that's meaningful for this family, for these people who are hurting. And I remember thinking to myself that how am I going to say something that's going to help in any way? I mean, I'm 22, 23 years old. I mean... These people have just had this significant moment. But what ended up happening is it turned into such a blessing, and the pain of the moment or the hesitancy of the moment was eased because in these moments, sometimes people are just weird. And here's what I'm talking about. I told you it was going to get weird. I've seen people do all sorts of things over the last 20 years that you have these moments where you go, what in the world am I witnessing? And all of them tie back to something. What I've noticed is that most of the time, people in these moments want to proceed in this moment. They want to navigate this moment, at least in part or somewhat, feeling as if the person is still there. I witnessed a, a funeral early on in, in kind of my funeraling career. There was a guy who came up, uh, he was probably about 35 years old, had lost his dad. 
who apparently was just massive rock and roll fans. And so this was what I witnessed. And you got to remember, I'm 23, 24 years old. You know, I, I haven't witnessed a lot of things in my life to this point. And I remember him walking up to the casket, and he proceeded to have a conversation with his father. You remember that time, Dad, man, we were like in Pittsburgh and we rocked out. Are you ready to do it again? And he whips out a portable radio. And before I know it, I'm sitting there. And before I know it, Led Zeppelin Black Dog is playing. And it's the extended version. It's the most awkward six minutes of my life. And he was completely engaged, expecting, I believe, his dad to have some sort of response. It was like they were in this moment together. Weird stuff. I remember someone carrying a pet into the funeral home, laying it in the coffin with gramps so he could cuddle up like they used to do on the couch. And this dog is just like standing on the chest of this guy. And I'm like, what am I witnessing here? The strangest though. There was an avid, at that time an avid Mountaineer fan, West Virginia University fan that had died. It was in the fall, and it was on the weekend, and so they weren't going to let that stop them. So they took their uncle, dressed him in game apparel, set him in a chair, put the TV on, over the speakers is the WVU fight song, remote in hand kind of thing, and I remember standing there with Sean when a lady who was visiting comes in, and she turns the corner, and she's startled. She goes, oh, wow, he looks like he's alive. She goes, that's kind of weird. And I'm like, no, that's not kind of weird. That's a lot weird. And they proceeded to navigate the day as if he was there. And then I remember that same lady walking up to him and kind of going, nope, he's dead. And even though he looked alive and well, once she got a little closer to observe, what she found was he was dead. We flip the page to Ephesians chapter 2, and Paul, now I'm going to try to bridge this to Ephesians. Paul makes a similar observation. Paul makes an observation as we continue to move through this letter known as Ephesians. And what we've seen so far is we've seen that, that Paul has shown us who God is. That God is this blessing God. God is a redeeming God. God is a God who just loves to, to shower us with good things. He is a, a God that not only redeems and saves us, but he saves us for a purpose. That he wants to, us to navigate life with, with his glory, with his praise in mind. Then we move from that to the to, to end of, of chapter 1 or just kind of after he intros the letter, we see that, that he prays this prayer for us, that we can have these expanded minds to know God more, that we can have these open hearts to, to be able to revel in his hope, and that we can have this moment that we begin to live empowered. And then he comes out of this prayer, and I love that he mirrors back. He says, listen, if you haven't got a, a clear picture of how good God is, let me give you one more kind of nail in the coffin, no pun intended, to tell you just how good God is. And what he has done for you and how he's empowered you and how he is working on our behalf. And, he, and Paul says in a nutshell, listen, you can look alive and well and still be dead. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. For all of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, this is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is one of the greatest sections of this letter. And the reason why is because it comes with the greatest promise. But before Paul gets to the promise, he presents a problem. He says, listen, there is a problem that we have, and it's common to all of us. And for some of us in here, and if we navigate outside of this room this morning, for some of the people we know in our workplaces and our neighborhoods and in this city, for some of us, this is where you are. It's a reality of where you are. For others, it's a reminder, it's a a walk down memory lane to remind us where we were but where God is navigating us. And he says, listen, you need to be aware of either where you are or where you used to be because both of those have great impact on where you're going. Both of them have great impact on the present and the future. And so he just kind of reminds us in verse 1, he says, as for you or us, for all of us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live. And then we get to verse 3, he says, and you were deserving of something. He says, all of us at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, you were by nature deserving of wrath. And at first we look at this and go, Paul, this is really negative. I mean, this is bad news. In fact, I can't think of any worse news than you're dead. That's about as bad as it gets. It's about as negative as it gets. He says, you're dead. And he uses these words like trespasses and transgressions and sins. And then he throws this like you're deserving of wrath. I mean, here we are this morning. And Jason, isn't this supposed to be a place where we go, listen, you you get something different than what you deserve. And yes, we know the rest of the story. But I think it's important for us to walk through the first part of the story either as a reminder or as a a mechanism by which we become aware of of our needs and what it is that only God can do. And he says, listen, I'm not trying to be negative. What I'm trying to do is two things. I'm trying to either create a sense of thankfulness for those of us who used to be there. I'm also trying to stir within those of us who used to be there a sense of urgency. Urgency. I want you to be thankful for where God has navigated you, but I want you to continue to navigate life in this purpose that he's called us to live with a sense of urgency, knowing that not everyone is where you are. That some of us, some people that we know, some people in our family that we work with in our neighborhood, guess what? They're still here. Oh, they may be sitting with the remote in hand, but it ain't clicking anything. 
Oh, they may look alive and well. And he says, for those of us who have been there, done this, you need to know that not only are you to be thankful, listen, there's a sense of urgency that should be created. I love that for some of us, he's showing us where we came in order to know how far we've come. And for others, he's pointing out the present to show that, you know what? Here's how far you can go in the future. You don't have to stay in your current. And we go, but why such a dramatic, extreme word? Dead. Death. Nobody likes to think about that. Nobody wants to brush up against that. Here's what Paul's doing. He's creating a metaphor. And it's a metaphor that, quite honestly, you can trace all the way back to the garden. Paul says, listen, here's what dead means. It it, it means that in your existence, your current state, when you exist apart from God, you're dead. And like I said, it traces its way back to the garden. If you remember in the garden, there was no death. Then mankind, humankind, makes a choice. We give way to what? Those evil desires, those evil thoughts, those evil ways. And we've done it ever since then, so we're not placing blame on anybody back there. But what happens is those things begin to make their way in, and the result is what? God says, now death is apart. Oh, and by the way, separation now is apart. So death is this moment where separation. So we see this same language mirrored over and over and over again in the narrative of, of the Bible. We see that there are moments where separation happens because we choose, we chase. We're looking for something, we're desiring something other than this relationship with God. And so death happens, separation happens. We look alive. And what we need to realize is that we are participating in death. See, we think of death as something futuristic. It's going to happen to me one day. But Paul says, no, death is present. See, he says, you participate in death while you're still alive. You go, well, how? Well, when we chase those things. When we begin to chase what he prescribes, these evil desires, these sinful cravings. He says, even your thoughts. He says, you need to even know that sin doesn't just affect the body. Sin infects your inner thoughts, your inner beings, and it creates a problem. It creates a separation problem. It did for Adam and Eve. It did for the Ephesians, and it does for me. That when I begin to pursue and chase and give way, I begin to separate. But Paul says, whoa, whoa, I'm not finished. Paul says, you don't get left there. You don't have to stay there. This is a problem, he says, but it doesn't come without solution. And he said, I know that there's a problem of us giving way and being separated, but he also points to that, you know what, in the moments of separation, you actually become chained to enslaved to something else. He says, listen, you are not just chasing after something that separates you from God. He says, listen, you give way to another ruler. He says, it's a ruler of what? Of the air, this spirit of disobedience that enslaves us. So he says, listen, there's a problem of separation and enslavement here. But he said, it doesn't have to end there. And then one of the most powerful words in all of the Bible. We get to verse 4 and he says, but... But, 
There's a problem. But. I love when God says but. Guys, this little word packs such a big punch. I think it represents the transformative power of the gospel. He creates a reality. Here's what reality is. But it does not have to remain a reality. Anytime throughout Scripture there's a but, something good's coming. And Paul says, listen, I'm not trying to be negative because there's a but. There's something that happened for you. There's something that can continue to happen in you. There's something that can happen for those who you know and identify and you walk into the funeral parlor and you see them looking alive and well, but upon further observation, you see there's actually some death there. But there's something that is created. He says, these moments when you thought, well, you're out of luck, you're lost, there's no way out, but, but, but God. And what Paul's doing is he's setting up something. With using that one transitional word, he's saying, God provides something you can't do for yourself. God is going to provide a solution to our greatest problem, our greatest need. He's going to not just bridge the separation problem. He is going to free. God intervenes. He says, you were this, you were dead, you were without chance, but God intervened. God makes a way. He says, you had a problem and you had no way of solving it. But God, you were in bondage, but God, you were under judgment, but God, he says, you were deserving of wrath, but God, he says, you were separated with no way to reunite, but God, he said, you were gone, but God, you were dead, but God, he says, be thankful. God intervenes, that he's compassionate, that he's gracious. I love the language when he talks about this richness. He's rich in mercy, that he's rich in grace, that he's fully, completely capable and willing to forgive. He's inclusive, he's patient, he's inviting, he's providing. He says you don't ever have to question the why because he goes on to say, but because of his great love, he says you don't ever have to question this because he has great love for you. He has great love for that which he has created. He has great love for humankind. And I love that Paul says this is not an ordinary love. It is great love. He said, but he could have easily just said, hey, you you don't have to remain this way because God loves you. He goes, no. He says, but because of his great love. He's going to go on to describe this in a couple weeks when we get there in chapter 3. He's going to say, listen, it is described as this extraordinarily large Love. He says, in fact, it's beyond our capacity to fully even grasp and to understand, but it's not beyond your capacity or ability to receive. That's what he's talking about in verse 8 when you go down. It says, listen, this is a gift to be received. It's not something that's just going to dangle out there. It's not something that you have to go and get and earn. He says, no, you receive these things. You can't get it any other way. And so as a result of this great love, as a result of this transition statement, but, he says there is a love that is great, and there is a mercy that is deep, it is rich, and it's all made available through your faith in God, through Jesus. Paul says, listen, I know I started off a little bit negative, 
I know I had, to, I had to point out that every one of us are in the same boat. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We have messed up and we will continue to. He says, and while we're in the same boat, let me point out that there's a rescue. There's a solution. And the good news is that anyone can have it. That it's available. And so there's a problem, Paul says, but it's not a problem without solution. And then he goes into one more thing. He says, not only is there a problem, not only has God given us this amazing opportunity, this gift to just be open through your faith for the solution. He says, there's going to be one more thing. He says, there's going to be a result. There's going to be something happen in you. There's going to be a renewal that happens. Look at verse 10. He says, for you are God's handiwork. Points out the problem, gives us the solution, and he says, here's the outcome. You're God's handiwork. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God had prepared in advance for us to do. See, he ties us back to that initial introduction of where God gives us purpose. He says, by the way, you're created for something more, for something different. He says, listen, you are God's handiwork. Other versions say you are God's, and I love this one, you're God's masterpiece. This is a big word. It's not that you'll just do. Ah, you'll do. God doesn't look at you and say, you're good enough. God says, no, no, no. You're my masterpiece. You hang in the main gallery. I display you with pride. It's this concept where, where you are made by someone, by the careful work of their hand. See, masterpieces are created by someone with great detail, great attention to, every detail, making sure that it is perfect. And God says, you are my handiwork. I have created you by my hands, and it is perfect. It means that it is careful. I have considered every single moment. He says, you are made by someone for something. He says, you were created and remade by someone for something, and it's simply this, to do good works. So let me take something off the table as we kind of wind down. It's not that we do these good works to earn salvation. Instead, it's our salvation that leads us to doing these good things. And let's be honest, do we not live in a culture where it would be refreshing to just see God's people do good works? Understanding our salvation, understanding that I was dead, but I was made alive by a God who deeply loves me. And so I'm just going to navigate life doing good things, doing good works. And when somebody says, what, are you trying to earn something? No. I was given something. And that gift causes me to do something. See, I don't, I don't do it to get it, no. I do it because I got it. See, when we receive his grace, we aren't just delivered from bad things. We're created anew for good things. A new way of living. And Paul says the embodiment of this 
Whether or not you really are living into this, whether you fully understand where you came from and where you are, where you are and where you can go, he says, the embodiment of this will be this. You'll begin to do good works. See, Paul says it's not just a problem that we have that he's going to fix for us. Oh, there is a problem. He says, but it's not that God's just going to come in and fix it. He says, no, he's going to reshape. He's going to renew in such a way that we become this handiwork that's meant to showcase for others to see and to experience his great love. So as we land this morning, here's what it comes down to. Guys, this is a matter of life and death. And I'm not sure we always grasp that. That as we navigate life, as we navigate this spiritual journey, that it's not just a matter of life and death for me, it's a matter of life and death for those that are around us. And like I said, I'm not sure that we always see the problem. We see uncle setting up in all the West Virginia gear listening to the game, and we look and go, well, he looks alive to me. He looks good to me. But the reality is, he's dead. And can I just point out, and again, this is not meant to be negative. Guys, there are people this morning who are dead. By Paul's definition, meaning separated, twisted, something put in between us, we're, we're dead. There are people that are in our friends group that are dead. There are people that we will go to school with tomorrow who are dead. There are people that we'll go to work with and share a cube with and share a project with and, and, and crunch numbers with or do surgery with who are dead. There are people on our teams, there, there are neighbors that you will interact with this afternoon talking about how bad the snowstorm is who are dead. There are people in our families who are dead. There are people in our workplaces, our city who are dead. And here's why I mention this, because we have to get to a place where we begin to recognize this. And we have, once we recognize it, we're going to give thanks, God, Oh, I'm so glad you didn't leave me there. But God, I want to be a part of you working for and with the salvation of humanity. So God, I, I, I want to begin to, to work with a sense of urgency. Now, guys, that's not panic. Panic's annoying. But urgency, where I begin to lean into people and listen and hear their stories... And in those moments where God presents an opportunity for me to say, have you thought about? Why don't you come and experience? Can I tell you something? Can I share with you something that's real to me? Those moments where we begin to create and we live into what God created us to be, a masterpiece of good works. When somebody says, why are you good when everything else is bad? Why are you always the one that's positive? Why are you always the one that finds good in bad places, light and darkness? You get to say, well... I was created, I was hand-shaped. I believe that those things will change our world. And I don't know what you believe, but I believe this. I believe that Jesus and the church is the real hope of the world. And I don't know if you believe that, but I do. I believe that as we look and navigate 
Guys, I made the mistake this morning. I normally don't do this. I made the mistake of getting on Facebook this morning. But it confirmed to me that Jesus is the only hope that we've got. In the midst of everybody and everything that just swirls, and I'm, I'm reminded more and more that the hope of the world rests in this promise that we were dead, but God. We were in bondage, but God. We were without hope, but God. We didn't stand a chance, but God. And I love that he did something tangible for us. That he did something transformative for us. He didn't just fix us. No, he reshaped us. He renewed us. He brought us into life. So here's how we're going to start beginning to live into this, not just being thankful, but how we're going to begin to live into this with a sense of urgency. Next week, we're going to start a week of prayer and fasting, and don't get scared of that, especially the fasting part. I know that's maybe a foreign thing, so just kind of bear with me. We're going to walk through it. I believe that every significant movement of God is preceded by prayer and fasting. I believe if you begin to look throughout Scripture, you'll see these significant moments, even throughout the course of history, you'll see these significant moments where these movements, these transformative movements, these things that enlighten it and lift the spirits of neighborhoods and lift the spirits of, of communities and cities where life comes out of death, starts with prayer and fasting from those who believe. I posed a question this last week on social media for those that, that follow us on social media. I just said, what would it look like if every person in every household in the greater Nashville area, which includes us, includes Hendersonville, what if every single person in every single household in the greater Nashville area was prayed for by name? So let me give you a few numbers. That would be 200, just a little over 210,000 households. Almost a million people. And so what, if, what would it look like if God's people who want what Paul's talking about, not just for ourselves, but we want this for a community. We want revival for our community. We want life to come out of death. We want people who look alive but are dead. We want those people to experience this life-giving promise. We want them to, to know the hope. We want them to know salvation. We want their marriages to be healed. We want their, their relationships to be healed. We want something greater for them. And we're not going to be annoying and shove it down their throat, but what if we just begin to pray for them by name? And you go, well, that seems like a tall task. Well... It is. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin to pray this life for people, that people will be made alive, and, and I just think that it has the opportunity to change some things. And so what we're going to do is, starting next week, we're going to set aside some time individually, personally, and as a church to navigate what it would look like. Now, here's what you need to know. We're going to be joining about 250, 300 churches in this. There are 14,000 packets that are being delivered today all over our city for people who are going to commit to saying, listen, I'm going to pray life in places of death. I'm going to pray light in places of darkness, and I'm going to do it very intentionally and very specifically. And so we want you to be involved in this, not just as a household. We want you to be involved individually with this. So on your seat, you have a packet. And so let me kind of walk you through that packet. Um, so check out this video, and then we'll kind of come back to this packet, and we'll tell you how we're going to start this. 
Awaken Nashville is a citywide movement of prayer and fasting unifying nearly 300 churches and more than 30,000 people to strategically pray and fast for every person by name in the greater Nashville area. This season of prayer and fasting will begin on Sunday, January 27th, and will conclude on Sunday, February 24th. There are a few ways that you can participate before the fast begins and once it gets started. To prepare for the fast, there are four things you need to do. First, pick up a prayer packet. You can get one at your local church or online at awakennashville.com. Two, get familiar with the contents inside of the prayer packet. We've provided a whole host of resources designed to help you as you prepare to pray and fast for our city together. There are books, there are prayer guides, there's a list of unique names, there are blank postcards, instruction sheets, and much more. Number three, choose the way that you will fast. Maybe you will fast one day a week or one meal a day, or maybe some combination of the two. But it's important before we get started that you decide how you will commit yourself to God during this season of prayer and fasting. And number four, prepare. Prepare your heart, your mind, your body, and your community for what you're getting ready to step into. Once the fast begins, there's three things we're inviting every person to do as we seek to pray and fast for the city together. Number one, we invite you to set your heart on God each day. In your prayer packet, we've provided a short 30-day prayer guide designed to set your heart on God in the morning and to set your heart on God in the evening as you pray for yourself, your family, and the people on your list. Number two, we invite you to pray and fast specifically for each person by name on the list that you've been given in your prayer packet. And number three, before the fast ends on February 24th, we invite you to use the blank postcard you can find in your prayer packet to write a handwritten note to each person that you've been praying for. What's gonna happen as we seek to unify, as we pray and fast for the city together? I don't know specifically, but I believe the words of 2 Chronicles 7:14, where God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, if they will turn from their wicked ways, he says, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I don't know what God has in store for us in this season of unified prayer and fasting for the city, but I do believe that God has immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I'm excited for the journey ahead. Thanks for joining. All right, so here's the packet, so take it out. A um, couple things about this in addition to the video. Uh, there is a unique number on the front, and so every packet's different. Your packet is not like your 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 husband or your wives. It's not like your neighbor. It's not like a friend sitting in the same row. This is a unique packet just for you. Um, the other thing about this packet is that they know what numbers came to Wellhouse. So if you do something weird, I'm going to get a call. Okay, so don't be weird. Um, but inside the packet, just so you can kind of tangibly uh, feel and see what the video was talking about, there is a sheet that starts with hello, and it says start. So I'm going to tell you something else about this, uh, this movement that we're going to be involved in. If you're not a reader, every single thing in this packet is available on audio. So you can listen to it on your way to work, you know, when you're stuck in traffic. Um, you know, everything is available on audio, even down to the book. And so it's just, uh, um, this, is, this is for type A people. I don't know what number that is on the Enneagram. I'm a number three, by the way. Uh, but um, 
It tells you everything you need to know down to what, what are we doing, what are we trying to accomplish, when is it, where is it, and how you can participate. And so uh, familiarize yourself with this. Uh, there's also a book, if, if, if prayer or fasting or both is kind of a, a new concept for you, there is a book that is included. Uh, this was done by a guy named Dave Clayton who is in our city. Uh, they did a series on, on fasting. He just put some notes in here. If you don't read anything else, just read pages 35 through 42. Uh, just just take a moment and read those six or eight pages. It'll kind of give you a nutshell of what you're trying to achieve in the fasting. Uh, when you go to choose your fast, be realistic. Um, you know, some of you may say, you know what, I'm just going to do water for 40 days. Well, I'm just going to tell you I'm not. And uh, that's good for you. Um, for, for you, though, you might say, listen, I just want to kind of stick my toe into this. I'm cool with the praying thing. I can even read a little bit. Uh, maybe for you, maybe it's just staying off Instagram at lunchtime. You know, if that's like your routine, man, you grab that sandwich out of the fridge and you just comb through social media and Instagram, maybe for you just taking that hour and saying, listen, Instagram can wait till I get home. I'm going to spend that 30 minutes or that hour that I get. So it could be as simple as that. And like the video said, it could be a one day a week thing. It could be Diet Coke for you. I don't know what it is. It may be something where it is meal related. It could be something, again, that's anything that is, serves as a daily distraction. Try to delete it for a minute and just spend that time that you normally would spend looking through Instagram being mindful of what we're doing here. And so this will kind of help you uh, with that, understand the concept. This will help you every single day. And so there's a devotional thought in there. And again, this just takes minutes. You can lay this open while you're brushing your teeth or, or uh, on the ride. You can listen to it uh, on your ride to work. Uh, but there's just a little devotional thought. There's going to be a scripture for the day. But one of the things I love about this is it's going to give you specific prayer points each day. So for those of us who go, listen, I don't really know how to pray for people I don't know, it's going to give you a one-two or a one-two-three. Just pray this today. Pray for your names, this, this thing. Then in your packet, you also have a unique prayer list. Again, this is what makes the number of the packet unique is that this is your list. Now, I will go ahead and tell you, you might run into where there's some duplicates on the list. So if an apartment is apartment hashtag or number B, or if it's given, you know, dash B, or if it's number B, all those are going to be the same because they register under difference. And so, again, when you're doing 210,000 households, you are going to run into some duplicates. So here's, here's what I want you to do. If you have a duplicate, you just insert somebody that you, you know. You just write their name in there. And again, all of this is, though, in what we're trying to achieve here is we're praying for people who don't know Jesus. We're not just praying goodwill. We're not just praying, you know, uh, good feelings. We're praying that these people move from death to life. That's the revival we're praying. So maybe pray for somebody that you work with. If you have this at work, don't, like, put their name in bold so they see it laying on the desk. That might be weird. But just just. Pray for somebody, if you have a duplicate, pray for somebody that you know. And then at the end of the 30 days, they have given us postcards. And what you're going to do is just write a note. And here's the beautiful thing. On the back page of the hello, they tell you what to write. Again, don't be weird. Uh, but they tell you, here's what's appropriate to write. Here's what's not appropriate to write. Because, again, this is not about Wellhouse. This isn't, hey, come to Wellhouse. This is, hey, in the name of Jesus, you've been prayed for for the last 30 days. And we love you. And we value you. And you sign your name and drop it in. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be involved in this. And I think it's going to be amazing on multiple levels. I think you're going to change. I think I will change. I think your households will change. I think your attitude at work will change. 
I think your neighborhoods will change, and I think our city will change. I think it has the capacity. Guys, this is not just empty language of me trying to fire you up to do something. You think about it. Every time at Wellhouse that we've called to an intensive time of prayer and fasting, God has delivered something amazing. I remember back when we were at the Skate Center, and we didn't have a clue where we were going to put our kids. As we were putting our kids, for those that don't remember back that far or weren't a part of us at that time, we were putting kids in closets because we didn't have any other space. And so we said, okay, God, we need a space. And before we made a move, before we even looked, really, we said, what if we took 30 days and we began to, as a body, pray and fast? And we did it. And not only did God deliver, God delivered a space that I thought there's zero chance he'll ever deliver. There's no way that Metro is going to let us in their newest state-of-the-art school, and here we sit. Things happen when God's people set aside time to pray and fast. And so that's what we're going to get into for the next 30 days starting on Sunday. Um, one last thing about this. We're going to be doing a kickoff in addition to our normal service on Sunday, next Sunday. Uh, they're going to be hosting uh, kind of a come all uh, at the Ryman Sunday night. Uh, so if you would like to be a part of that, uh, you can either go online and get a ticket, or we have some tickets that are already reserved and printed. Here's what we ask on that. That is a ticketed event. Uh, unlike a lot of venues in town, you know, if they want 3,000, they give out 8,000 tickets. This is one that they will only print or make available the tickets that the actual Ryman seats will hold. They will not over-ticket for this. So if you're unsure, don't take a ticket. Uh, if you're like, oh, my, you know, we'll see what's going on. You know, if I got a better offer come Sunday afternoon, uh, you know, don't take it. But if you say, no, I want to be a part of this, we want you to be a part of this. And so we have a block of tickets for the 7 o'clock uh, prayer and uh, worship service that's going to happen at the Ryman Auditorium downtown. Uh, so it's, it's sure to be amazing. I know there were a very few tickets left for 4 o'clock a few days ago. 7 o'clock, there were still several. And so if you want those, so just go to Next Steps. They'll hook you up with a ticket there. If you know today, like, no, I'm in, totally in for that. If not, think about it, pray about it, and you can go online. And I will post a link this afternoon uh, so that you can go to our community page and download a ticket for the 4 o'clock or the 7 o'clock, whichever one you want to. Because, again, I think this is going to be amazing. I cannot wait to see what God does individually, collectively for our body, but also uh, our city and, and, and people abroad. So um, we're going to move into a time of communion. So you guys go ahead and stand with me. I pray that you will take this step with us. But in addition to that, I pray that you will begin to take steps toward knowing God more, knowing God better, or knowing God at all. And so we're going to move into a time of communion that allows us to, to, to move to a space where expectation is that we just are striving to know God more, to be more relational, where we experience forgiveness. Perfection is never required. Perfection is not the expectation to enter these tables. What's required is just seeking the face of God in these tables. Knowing that God provided not just a fix for our problem through Jesus, that he gave us new life. And so we center around these tables every week to celebrate that. To celebrate the but God part. I was way out but God. I didn't have a way out but God. And so let's celebrate today the but God because of his great love, gave us Jesus. And so we're going to center around these. And, and again, see, we're not Christians because we live like Christians. We're Christians because we've accepted the gift of salvation 
And as a result of that, we begin to live differently. And so let us begin to live differently, starting with this moment today. Father, this morning as we move into communion, I pray that you change us, that you shape us, that you call us to something greater, something deeper, something better. So, Father, I pray that what we find at these tables today is hope. That we have a reminder. For some of us, I pray that we are reminded today of where we used to be and how far we've come. For others, God, I pray that they maybe have an awakening moment where they realize where they are, but they know they don't have to stay there. And they'll begin to seek your face, to seek answers, solutions that are only given through faith in your Son. Father, I pray that that stirs us both. It doesn't matter which one we fall into this one. I pray that both of us are so stirred that we do something, that we call on your name, or we live like you because of Jesus. God, I'm so grateful that in the rough patches, bad decisions, failures in my life, there was a but God. So, Father, this morning we celebrate your great love. Not an an ordinary love, but a great love. So, Father, help us to celebrate together as family today as we move into communion. Amen. You're dismissed to the tables.